Well, it is good to be able to share with you today. And uh, for those of you who I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's David. I'm part of the pastoral team here, along with Matt. And it's a, a special time being Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we're going through a series where we're looking at the desire to, to go deeper in our relationship with God and what that might look like. Now, it's interesting. Along with love, jealousy, desire and anger, this emotion has the power to topple dictatorships, petition government for change, send Armstrong to the moon, propel people to diet, to join the gym, to change their jobs, change utility suppliers or even exit destructive relationships. In 2017, approximately $16 billion, $16 billion was spent on advertising, around twice as much as what the federal government spends on disability services. And most of this $16 billion in advertising was to, to feed, to fuel this emotion that we're looking at today. It's the feeling that Apple or Samsung, are banking on millions of people developing when they see the new features, the additional features, the better features of the new smartphone that they're wanting you to lay out another $1,000 to buy. $16 billion to encourage you to be dissatisfied unless you buy Dissatisfaction. Now, the technical definition of dissatisfaction is a pretty tricky one. It's the lack or the absence of satisfaction. And in our relentless pursuit of happiness, rather than embrace dissatisfaction we, and, and seeing holy dissatisfaction as a gift from God, we, through advertising, are encouraged to use whatever is at our disposal, whatever means we have available to us, to by X, to obtain X as a panacea, a cure-all to whatever dissatisfaction um, fails you. And if it doesn't work, then we're encouraged, well, maybe X didn't work for you, whatever that X might be. So, so if you just buy Y instead, I'm sure that will get, you know, get that satisfaction happening for you instead. The experience of dissatisfaction or pain is often a good thing that can bring about change. Without it, many people would settle for the status quo. Now, that's not the band that I'm talking about. It's the norm of the way of thinking. But when we accept the gift of holy dissatisfaction, then we use that dissatisfaction to make changes in our lives to improve it, to make our lives better, to transform our lives for the better. Holy dissatisfaction is in fact a good thing and we need to be open to it. Dare I say, we need to actually invite it into our life. And if you don't believe me, consider the frog in the kettle. So when you think about the frog in the kettle, does anyone know the moral to this story about the frog in the kettle? Does anyone know that? Okay, so Tracy... Okay, so if you place a frog in a pot of cool water and slowly, over a long period of time, increase the temperature, then the frog does not jump out and it gets cooked 
and dies in the pot or in the kettle of hot water. But if you were to place a frog directly into a pot of hot water, it will leap out because of the sudden shock, the the, the experience of dissatisfaction. But through this slow, gradual process of turning the temperature up, they become complacent. They just sit there. Now, I'm not suggesting you try this at home when you go home tonight. Okay, don't do that. Um, We like frogs. Cane toads, different story, but frogs we, we, we like. I believe that God wants us to have a rich, transformative, empowering relationship with each of us, where we experience God moments and God movements in us, through us, around us, where there are desert times, where there are times of abundance and you discover God is at work in amazing ways. The enemy of holy dissatisfaction is a settling for the status quo, to settle for less, to settle for the ordinary. And the amazing thing is that holy dissatisfaction is affordable to everyone here today. A holy dissatisfaction will cost you absolutely nothing, but the power it brings to one's life is revolutionary. As we look at deepening deepening spirituality, I believe that the two most important things we need to have to trigger a quest for a deeper relationship with God is desire and dissatisfaction. Desire and dissatisfaction. It's almost like two sides of the one coin. You need both. One without the other is often destructive. People who desire more food when they're already full end up throwing up what food they've eaten. People who are dissatisfied and have no desire for change are often cynical and bitter. But when you bring both desire and dissatisfaction together, then it fuels people to move. And when it is a holy dissatisfaction, a redeemed desire that Matt spoke about last week, and then that desire and a dissatisfaction have a positive transformative quality in a person's life not a constant state it's not as if you want to constantly be in a state of dissatisfaction but to have it there as a welcome regular guest in your life it is something that God encourages and sees benefit in God sees dissatisfaction as good in Proverbs chapter 16 verse 26 we read it is good for workers to have an appetite, to be hungry. An empty stomach drives them on. Time and time again, God talks about satisfying the hungry. He sees hunger is a good thing and He wants to to satisfy that hunger in us. In Psalm 107 verse 9, for God satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. In Proverbs 15 verse 14, a wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. But just as desire needs to be redeemed, otherwise love for for one becomes lust for anyone. Otherwise, if if desire is not redeemed, then desiring to be your best becomes selfish ambition and the list can go on. But just as desire needs to be redeemed and sanctified by God, 
which actually intensifies it, focuses it, enriches it. So holy dissatisfaction creates an, a, an appetite, a hunger for good things. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, we read that God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. I believe God wants you to have a holy dissatisfaction with your relationship with Him, to desire the Holy Spirit to be more at work in your life. You see, it's only when we desire more of God are you dissatisfied with your current relationship and we enter into a quest for going deeper. It was a quest that the, the, um, the people in Galatia entered into. You see, the people in Galatia were Celts. They were also known as Gauls, or that's how we got the name Galatia. And many of them moved from the areas of France and Germany and northern Italy uh, to as far west as Britannia, uh, Britannia and while others in 279 BC moved to what is now known as Turkey. But in the second century BC, in the Apostle Paul's day, in the first century AD, it was known as Galatia. The Galatians, these Celts, were considered a barbaric bunch of people who the Roman historian described as being inflamed with desire. Those on the wrong side of the Galatians described them as degenerates of mixed race, barbaric warriors invading and ransacking neighbouring countries. They were great warriors. They hired themselves out as mercenary soldiers, willing to serve and even switch sides mid-battle, depending on whoever was going to pay them the most. But rather than unruly barbarians, they actually had an organised and highly developed political and legal system. Not dissimilar to what you might expect of the Greeks and the Romans. A council consisting of 300 men would meet and pass judgment on murder cases. But the local tetrarch, the local judges, would um, have jurisdiction over all other cases. They intermarried with the locals who remained in the land and became a mixed ethnic group, yet most of them maintained their original Celtic language. Over time, the Galatians included um, significant Greek and Roman influences in their world. They were farmers, they were graziers, whose economy rode on the sheets back 2,000 years before Australians ever got there. Galatian Celts also adopted local religious practices and in some cases um, they incorporated into their religious repertoire which included some pretty distasteful practices such as the wicker man in which several people were sometimes placed within this wicker, this cane sort of creation of a huge statue of a man and then those people were set alight as a sacrifice to their god or gods. Other human sacrifices practiced by the Galatians included strangulation and decapitation. The Galatians suffered from Roman genocide in around 189 BC, which resulted in the deaths of tens of thousands of men, women and children, culminating in a massacre at Mount Olympus. And then 
those that survived, many of them were relocated. And when we think of relocation, think about enslaved deportation. Of many more of them to other parts of the Roman Empire. The Galatians finally won favour with the Romans. And in the first century uh, BC, it resulted in them being given extra land in the Roman Empire as a result of their reward of loyalty. Yet in the years that followed, these Greek-speaking Celts from Galatia bore the scars of their history, which influenced their understanding of themselves and their interactions with the world around them. The Galatians clung tightly to their traditions, remaining strong, proud and independent people, keeping their own traditions and laws under the Roman Empire. However, a number of Galatians grew dissatisfied with their cruel religious practices. They longed for freedom once again. Past freedom and self-determination was something that was a wonderful memory, but they wanted more of that again in their life. They'd heard the stories about that in distant times, and they wanted it to be theirs again. They felt the burden of both their and the Roman law. Conflict and cultural disharmony were eating them up in this dog-eat-dog world that they lived in. The cry of their dissatisfied heart was there has got to be a better way. And so Paul, through his various visits to their land, spoke of Jesus and God's good news and a right relationship that was possible because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of his death and his resurrection, paying the penalty for sin and bringing freedom from judgment and the law. Paul called them to come out of their evil world in chapter 1, verse 4, that they were no longer slaves in chapter 4, verse 5, that they could be free from the burden of the law in chapter 2, verse 18, free from the celebration of pride which pulls others down to elevate yourselves, to build yourself up in chapter 3, verse 3. This freedom that they longed for, this true freedom, could be found in God, Paul refers to in 4, verse 8. The racial discord could finally be dispensed with in chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. The biting and the devouring of each other could come to an end if they put God first, chapter 5, verse 15. But to achieve this, the Galatians needed desire and dissatisfaction. To be dissatisfied with the way things are and to desire a better way. To be willing to let go of something, to open your hand up and to let go of it so that they could then take hold of what God had on offer. For us today, we can so easily settle for an ordinary relationship with God. A relationship that is satisfied with salvation and eternal life. Like a father who cautions his his uh, son, when he discovers that his son has made a faith commitment in Jesus, the father says to his son, well, that's okay, but don't let it change. There has got to be a better way. God doesn't just want to change you. God wants to radically transform you from the inside out. 
that through God's Spirit living inside you, that you will be made brand new, that we will see the world differently, that we will see people differently, that we will work differently, that we will be better spouses, better partners, better parents, better children, better brothers, better sisters, better citizens. But when we settle for the average, we suffocate, we stifle, we we throw a wet blanket over the Holy Spirit who longs to blow our minds through answering the impossible prayers, through transforming impossible situations and through breaking through impenetrable walls. If we settle, we will never go deeper. If we settle, we will miss out on opportunities to see God do amazing things. If we settle, we will see the world of God-given opportunities pass us by. If we settle for the ordinary, rather than being dissatisfied with ordinary and desire extraordinary, then we will not taste and see all that God has on offer for us. An offer that Jesus makes in John 10.10, an offer to live life to the full. But before I wrap up, there's a couple of notes of caution. Not a catch, just a caution. God is not your Santa Claus. Dissatisfaction and desire are not about sitting on God's knee with a list of wants that we prattle off to Him and that we then feel cheated because we don't get all that we want delivered to us on that Christmas morning. What stands before you today is an invitation to pray a holy, life-changing prayer. An invitation to, to the Spirit of God to create in you a holy dissatisfaction with settling for the ordinary, a domesticated relationship with the divine. If that is all you want, then don't pray for holy dissatisfaction. Holy dissatisfaction will take you on a wild ride with the divine. The divine who spoke light and life into existence. It will also cost you. If you are dissatisfied with your current prayer life, like the disciples were in Luke 11 verse 1, when they, when they asked Jesus this, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, One of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And it meant that they had to learn how to pray. They had to reconceptualize what it meant to pray. They had to practice this new form of prayer. It cost them time. It cost them energy. But not just once. It wasn't just a once do the prayer and then forget about it. It needed to be a lifestyle change where they again and again and again practiced this new form, this new way of praying. They needed to put Jesus' lesson into practice. But imagine how they felt when the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them 
And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. And the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And 3,000 people who heard Peter's message about Jesus discovered holy dissatisfaction with the way things were and they desired a better future for themselves and they believed in the gospel message and they were baptised that same day. It's an incredible invitation for you to invite the Spirit of God to give you a holy dissatisfaction with the ordinary and to desire for God to be at work in and through your life more. Will you dare to ask for a holy dissatisfaction today? There's some questions that we've got up on the screen. They're questions that I'd invite you as we take some time to reflect and respond to consider. One is, what areas in my relationship with God have I become settled or complacent? It could be prayer. It could be the ability to bear witness, to testify, to talk to others about Jesus. It could be about generosity. You've been, become complacent. You haven't been stretched in your attitudes of generosity lately. It could be about your attitudes towards justice. What areas in my relationship with God have I become settled or complacent? And the second is, will you pray for a holy dissatisfaction in your life as you desire more? You might want to even offer a prayer, write down that prayer on that response. We would love on a Monday to be able to pray with you. If you would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to have a holy dissatisfaction, then please talk to Matt, talk to me. Um, there's a whole range of people that you can talk that would love to talk about what it means to end up a holy dissatisfaction of desiring more of God. So music's going to be played. And as that music's played, I invite you to pull up those response cards, those pencils, and respond to the things that God's saying to you today. God.